Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the 40th episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus war game produced by Games Workshop. In this week's show, we're going to finish our discussions about the Legio Ignatum with hobbyist James Turner. The God Engine cast needs your help. As you've probably heard me say now quite a few times, I have a survey sitting online, the link for which is in the show notes. This survey is for feedback about this podcast. I need your input to help me decide what I'm going to do in the future. From show topics to the actual format of the show itself, all these things are in consideration. So please go to this link and fill in the information and have your say. It will help me help you and help the rest of the community. So thank you. As always, please rate and review the show, and please recommend this podcast to your friends who you also think are going to be interested in this show. As always, if you feel so inclined, please visit my online tip jar at the Ko-Fi webpage, Ko-Fi slash GodEngineCast, and leave me a few dollars as a quick say of thanks or something. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Okay, Games Workshop news. Real quick, because this is shaping up to be a really long episode. Uh, Forge World are releasing the Serastus Knight Atrapos this week. They will probably be out by the time you're hearing this. Uh, they're probably sitting there on the shelves. I haven't seen the other um, Admech Knights go out of stock really quickly. Um, the kit has all the usual reservations that I put on Forge World kits. Um, but uh, yeah, they look good. See previous episodes for conversations about that. Uh, looking forward, um, Black Library have announced the next Siege of Terror book is going to be called Mortis, and it's going to focus on the battles between the Legio Mortis and Legio Ignatum battling against the Walls of Terror. I am overjoyed and cannot wait to listen to the audiobook when it comes out. Um, and I will probably do a book review at some point as well. Um, it's going to be another titan on titan extravaganza um this time it's being written by john french who has yet to write any titan action so it's gonna be really interesting to see how he handles it uh i like a lot of john french's writing his writing for the story of talon was dark he is definitely more of the darker than the grim well he's pretty heavy as a grim dark writer um his books are always pretty heavy but they're good so i'm looking forward to seeing what he puts out Okay, and that about wraps it up. I'm going to move straight on to the main section of the show, because it's, as I said, a pretty long one today. So, a couple of things before we get on to the main topic of discussion for the day and the conversation with James. First of all, let's talk about the blue panelling on Legio Ignatum Titans. I brought it up last week during the painting section of my Fire Moths review. And sort of hint that it sort of came about from some artwork um, that was done for the some of the Black Library books. I think I just need to make this very clear, because it's been commented to me on feedback a few times, that this was very much the case. It was an artistic choice for those particular images. Uh, it helped break up the colour, and any explanation we come up with for why that colour's there 
is us imposing an idea rather than Games Workshop saying this is why they're blue. Um, and I can't lay claim to any of the ideas that I talked about in my show as being, you know, this is how I interpret it as being original ideas. These are all ideas that the Ignatum community have been chewing on for the past year and a half. And um, yeah, just to be clear about that, it's a community-driven thought process that I'm just voicing here in audio form. Secondly, sort of tied to that, I just want to say how fantastic the feedback has been from the previous show. As I sort of hinted in places, I wasn't overly happy with it. There were numerous places that I just, it just didn't feel right to me. Um, but it's been pretty well received. I've had a lot of positive feedback and uh, thank you. Um, it's really helped. Um, so on to this week's show. Um, this week's show is, as per usual, a conversation with a hobbyist called James Turner about Legio Ignatum. Uh, James is a hobbyist from uh, the north of Scotland, a really nice chap. Uh, we hadn't really talked much before we sat down and recorded this, um, and we had a fantastic conversation. The first three quarters is a really good in-depth discussion of the Legio. Towards the end, we start moving off to discuss sort of big picture ideas and where we think the hobby's going. This, I also found, was a really good discussion. Now, I was going to cut it off and include it in next week's show, because I felt that that's a lot of what next week's show is going to be. You're discussing a lot of things that should have been left lying around. But I didn't uh, cut it off, because I couldn't find a good place to cut it, and I wanted to see what people thought of this longer-form conversation. Um, I will also state that several of the things we're talking about have now come to pass. Uh, we are speculating that the Serastus Knight Atrapos is going to appear soon. That is because we recorded this interview in early November, and I'm publishing this in mid-December. Um, a lot of time has passed. Um, it's just the way I record these shows that sometimes this happens. So just bear with it, and hopefully you enjoy it all. And thank you. And we'll get on with it. Well, thanks, thanks James, for joining me today. Um, we want to talk about uh, Legio Incarnum. Before we get to that... Um, let's start with the big question of when you got into Titanicus and your general hobby experience. Um, so actually, I, I was into Titanicus before Titanicus even got released. Um, when we were talking in uh, before we, we started, um, I mentioned that I, I was lucky enough to go to the, the last couple of weekenders that uh, Forge World ran down in Nottingham. And I think it was at the 2008, 18 one was when Titanicus was first talked about and at that stage it was looking like it was going to be the all resin uh, design that, that, that they were mooting um, and that was still super exciting um, I, I vaguely remember that, that um, I think the year before that uh, a, a friend of mine had been down to the, the 17 weekender and they'd had a test game using the rules with full size uh, you know, 28 millimeter scale Titans um, at the weekender that um, lots of folks are taking their models along too. So it, it was really, really exciting, but we didn't really know what was coming and they talked about it in veiled terms. And then the, we had um, that slew of specialist games reappearing with, with Blood Bowl starting in, in 2016, Necromunda in 2017. And 2018 rolled round uh, and we got the news about Titanicus kind of plodding along and then it, it appeared and it was in plastic and it, that was even better. Um, so 
as soon as they announced that the game was coming, I, I was super excited. Uh, informally announced that I was super excited. Um, the products went up for order through stores, and I think you know I had the Grandmaster Edition on order with my local gaming store instantly. Um, the the box arrived, and uh, that was me. You know week the top off that new new box smell pouring through the sprues and i'd been watching all the videos and everything so uh, i've been into it from from the start and uh, but but only from from this point of view i was too i am too young to have kind of fitted into the previous incarnation of, of titanicus or or epic um i got into the the war gaming hobby in the late or mid to late 90s in my teens, early teens. Um, and I, I love telling the story. I was around a friend's house. Uh, it was a guy called Chris. Uh, I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but I should probably start dropping his name. A guy called Chris. And we were hanging out his, and his dad got, his dad was really annoyed because he'd said that he'd clear out the garage. So uh, in that way that teenagers do, he was like, oh, fine, I'll do it now. So I followed him out to the garage and he starts chucking stuff into a bin bag and he pulls a box off the shelf that's full of miniatures. I have no idea what they are, but he goes to start pouring them into the bin bag. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's that? He's like, that's Warhammer. I don't want it anymore. And I was like, really don't want it. I'll take it. So I left his place with this big cardboard box full of miniatures. I had no idea what they were uh, and a stack of old white dwarf magazines. And that was me hooked. Um, I spent hours pouring through the white dwarfs and, and catalogs. This is you know, obviously back when white dwarf had the catalog pages at the back too, trying to figure out what these things were and um, took my first foray into slapping paint on stuff. Uh, and that was me hooked uh, there with mostly 40 K stuff dabbled in original necromunda as well uh took a bit of a break in my late teens as i think most hobbyists do when uh, other interests pop up and then early 20s fell back into the hobby again and i've been doing that ever since uh and plan to keep doing it as long as i can see and hold a brush and roll dice um so yeah that's that's mostly my story of how i got into it other than titanicus what are your other primary games i mean obviously You've been playing for a bit. Yes. Um, so I, I I love the the 30k setting. Um, I've got um, been through quite a few armies for 30k actually, but have settled finally uh, on um, Mechanicum. But I also have some Imperial Fists. Um, I think the the 30k setting is is so rich narratively um, that that it's a really interesting era to be playing in. Um, and that's, that was a big draw to Titanicus as well for me, as well as the big stompy robots uh, in, in game. It's, it's, it's such a rich tapestry to draw on from a fluff point of view and from a narrative point of view. Um, I also uh, play Warhammer Underworlds. That's probably the game that I have played most frequently over the last few years. Um, and it's also uh, the one that I, it's one of the few games I enjoy playing competitively because it's, it's built to play, be played in that fashion. Um, I'm probably much more of a, or I'd like to think I'm much more of a casual gamer for, for other systems because it's the story and the narrative that, that makes more sense or fit, you know it resonates more strongly with me for most games. Um, Necromunda is another big one. Uh, I mentioned uh, N17 um, in my rambly bit before. Um, that one, again, um, well, that was, that's actually, that was a, a kind of a, a two, two things that got me into that. One is... 
as I'm sure many hobbyists find, as you, as you get older and you have adult responsibilities, you, you can't always port around a 3,000-point army. or You don't always have time to, to paint a 3,000-point army. So the skirmish size games, it's another draw for Underworlds. You know, you've got set war bands with relatively few miniatures that don't require a lot of energy to... You can play out the box with them, basically. Um, so Necromunda's a draw because it's a skirmish game. It's another one that's hugely narrative. I really, really have enjoyed the way that they have fleshed out the the character of the world and the gangs. Um, and it's again, it's another rich tapestry that you could explore to your heart's content on multiple levels. Um, I've actually run a few campaigns locally for Necromunda, which has been tremendous fun as well, because uh, in, in a way you're the ones writing the story using the fluff. Um, so that's that's one Blood Bowl as well. I haven't played that as much recently, but it's another wee skirmish style game that doesn't require a lot. Um, and I think that's it for my, I've, again, uh, Aeronautica Imperialis. There's a wee bit of overlap there with the scale on Titanicus. That's, that's quite an interesting game as well. I played a couple of games of the original rule set um, back in the day. And there's not there's not a lot of difference, but having the board change was obviously a bit of a took a bit of getting used to. But again, I think I can actually see. I know some people struggled with the hexes, but you can actually see once you get into it that the the way that it enables you to do the maneuvers. Um, so that's another quite small one that's quite good fun. Um, I haven't played that one as much, and I'm just kind of I, I love board games and stuff like that as well. But those are the main main. Uh, tabletop game uh, with miniature systems. A good variety of the specialists. I I have very similar feelings about all the ones you said. I played a bit of Underworlds, but it never really caught on in the play circles I was in, so it didn't. It's I th- think it's a, it's an interesting system, and I, I, I'm going slightly off the AT topic here, but I think it, it bears... A, it's a scene that's interesting because one of the... The things that's happened over the last year or so is that they've had quite a lot of guest spots in um, White Dwarf with games designers, um, and there's now a regular column for Underworlds. And one of the one of the ones they did this year must have been about at some point over the summer talked about how the original two sets of miniatures, no, the original sets of miniatures for season one of Underworlds were not designed for the Underworlds game. They were just easy to easy to build miniatures that the studio had come up with um, so they had a, a team who were tasked with coming up with a game that they could use these miniatures for um, and they came up with with season one which was not perfect but was was quite a good self-contained game system that fit within the overall narrative of what was going on with age of sigmar and since then they've then you know they're now designing warbands and miniatures specifically for the game, they have learned from the previous seasons and they're they're taking player feedback. They're building on the experiences of the player base competitively and casually. And it's just been a really interesting iterative design process that they've gone through, both in terms of the miniatures and the gameplay. And that's, as I say, I was, you know, it's one of the game systems, I, a few game systems I enjoy playing competitively because it's built to, to work in that fashion. Um, and I think other systems, and this is probably the, the narrative gamer in me, things like 30K and Titanicus, you, you can obviously play tournaments with them. The rules aren't built with that in mind, so it can become more challenging when you try to impose limits on narrative settings. Yeah, no, I, I really like the idea of uh, Underworlds. I mean, I've recently sold all my stuff off, but just I wasn't getting games in. But the actual 
I think it shows the depth of thought that's going on in that uh, specialist games department that it's a really well-tuned game. Um, it oddly makes me realize how slightly untuned Aeronautica is, which I loop background occasionally to being unhappy with Aeronautica. Um, and it's one of the games that helps me point out it's because it's Aeronautica's or feels like it's halfway between the two games, between Titanicus and Underworld. Like it wants to be that. It wants to be both those games, and it doesn't. It isn't either. No, it's it is it's an interesting hybrid, and I I do feel it's also interesting in that it's it's seems to have been adopted as a core system under the Warhammer Forty Thousand banner, in that it's stocked in in stores regularly, and um, you know the majority of the range is in plastic with only the smaller you know the 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 items that people are generally not going to buy more than one of in resin from forge world which in a way is actually moving back towards the original model that we had with you know studio releases for the main plastic stuff and then forge world was the add-ons or the 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 upgrade kits and i know that's that's not a model that's to everybody's tastes but it's one that clearly works in terms of you know lower production run fits with some things um but yeah it's interesting you mentioned the sort of space it sits in between because there's the, there's obviously the pre-planning that's required for um a game like titanicus where you've, you've almost trying to think in a chess-like fashion of the moves you make ahead um but it's on a, a hex-based uh, board which obviously creates you know some restriction of movement um and it's much lighter on the rules i think and Titanicus would be, um, but it doesn't have the cards and the influence on the game that, that Underworlds does. Yeah, I, I like I said, I've, there's not been a game specialist game, Games Workshop put, put out since they started the, the specialist games department back up that I haven't enjoyed playing. Um, I think they've been really well thought out games. Um, I'll, I'm a little bit more critical of their offerings in 40k and Age of Sigmar. They can be a little bit more hit and miss, but. Um, so anyway, because um, I've talked about other systems, got base idea there. It's all good. Um, other than Legio Ignatum, um, what other do you collect? Any other Legios for Titanicus? I've actually I made a decision quite early on based on uh, talked to, talk to a wee bit about some of the other specialist games that I've played and collected there. So when uh, when Blood Bowl launched, I had a plan to buy every single team and every single star player. And I did that for a wee while. And then I looked at the pile of plastic and resin that was building up and thought, no, this is not a good idea. And then Necromunda came out and I had a similar approach. And I looked at the pile of resin and plastic and I thought, no, this is not a good idea. So when Titanicus landed, um, I, de- I decided quite early on um, that I would try to stick to one house for knights and one legio for the titans. Um, had maybe about four weeks where I was trying to figure out which way that would go, which which ones would fit. Um, I do have, I've only got one left now, but I have some 28 millimeter scale knights uh, for House Tyrannus. So that was kind of a, a given. Um, them also being the first night house and, you know, featuring in uh, the Mechanicum novel um, was quite a draw. And then I saw, um, it was a chap called Pete Whitlam had posted up his, uh, Tyrannus Knights, and I thought, no, nope, that's that's awesome. Uh, that's the color scheme I've gone for. So uh, Tyrannus for the Knights, and then Ignatum. I, I flirted with a couple of other legions, uh, or the idea of a couple of other legions, and then settled on Ignatum quite quickly. 
And part of that was because um, the color scheme is so striking and recognizable. Um, also because of the, you know, the, the, they were one of the original three Titan legions on Mars. And they were present at the siege at the end, um, as well as the war in the webway. So there was a few influences there um, that fed into it. But yeah, very early on, settled on. Uh, one one legio, one house for the knights. Um, un- unlike um, Lee Marshall, who seems to be trying to build uh, maniples from every single legio in existence, but kudos to him for doing it. It's uh, phenomenal stuff that he's posting. Um, so no, it's it's just just the two there, um, and it's been really really exciting actually. As the last round of supplements have come out, and it, it, you know, the main thing we're talking about today is ignatum so the rules kindly you know kind of appearing for them but also the the rules for tyrannus appearing recently or relatively recently as well um has been it's been really interesting seeing i mean in some cases it's slightly reimagining things but i I don't think that's a bad thing um but it's just it's a really exciting time to be into those two factions i think oh yeah yeah um well let's we'll come back to talking about the hobbying side of uh, Ignatum in a bit. Um, let's actually move on to actually discussing your take on the rules. I mean, obviously, this is with a giant asterisk that probably we've not actually played any games. Um, no, no, this is this is it's. I, I couldn't even claim to be a hot take because they've been available for a wee while and they've been discussed at length by others, I would imagine. But um, I, I've I've made some uh, you know m- made some uh, got some thoughts on it based on my experiences of the game. Um, so uh, I've, I've kind of, I don't want to be too too rigid, but I've, I've started off looking at the Legion trait. Um, I think I mentioned before how, how I see Titanicus as a narrative game. So for me, a good Legion trait is something that, that uh, starts to add flavor to make it just not another Legion. Um, and so the, the Legion trait of... Um, one wee loyal few. Um, rerolls at close range... Uh, and 12 inches is, is short range for quite a few weapons in the system, uh, I think is, is really good. Um, rerolls on the whole are, are beneficial to have in any game system. Um, and uh, because it applies to both your projectile and melee weapons, you've got some real reliability there in, in close combat. Um, I think it leans the Legio into you know, brawling up close uh, from, from mid-range back which feels quite fluffy. You know, the Fire Wasps are quite an aggressive legion um, when their blood's up. Uh, so I, I, I thought that was a really interesting one. Um, doesn't push them too much in, in one direction because you, you could still go for a, a, you know, a more ranged option. Um, but I think it, it plays into the, the background of them fairly nicely. Um, I was surprised when I saw it because it wasn't what I was expecting, but... At the same time, I really it's a good one for your opponent because although it gives you a pretty big advantage because re-rolling ones is awesome because it's all ones, you do have to get close to your opponent so it's a, they know what you're going to do. Yes, and I think I think it, you know you're going to be wanting to build uh, engines and maniples that allow you to take advantage of the trait, and that's that's not. That's not coming from a competitive point of view. That's coming from a, um, you know, we're leaning in that direction with the narrative of the Legio that that they are mid to short range brawlers. Um, so I don't think it's a coincidence that twelve inches is 
the you know the short range for quite a lot of the weapon systems. It's really nice to see that the rule is twelve inches and not short range, because it does push you into that sort of zone where warlords are going to be struggling to get those um, carpace weapons lined up and the like. Yes, yeah, and and, and I mean th- I think that's that's probably one of the reasons why it was twelve because I, I can see there being the potential for. Abuse is too strong a word, but but stacking bonuses with things like carapace mounted apocalypse launchers at super long range. You know, if you if you got rerolls to to hit on ones, plus you've got the plus one to hit, you you'd have crazy accurate long range weapons there, which doesn't really fit with the the sort of Titanic combat. Which seems like you would want to be doing it at range, but the way that the background is written, you know, Titans were never intended to fight one another. They were intended to fight other super heavy uh, constructs. Um, so, it, you know, they've they've got, you know, there's ECM going on and jamming and all kinds of other stuff almost inevitably. So that mid-range combat where they're actually quite close to one another and that's why, you know, it's such a destructive type of combat um, lends itself to that, that mid-range. Um, and I think that's why most of the weapons are the way they are. But, um, yeah, I think it would, would have been too powerful if it would have been any range. But you're right. I think they've taken into account that if they'd have gone too short with it and said short range, some weapons just would never have seen the benefit from it at all. Um, okay, so um, I actually quite like the stratagems we've got as well. Um, I would like your thoughts. I mean, they're both very different, but they're also pretty cheap, which is nice. I think um, so, so punish their folly. Um, that one, again, it's an interesting one. It's not what I was expecting from although I had tried to keep an openish mind when it came to what the traits might be because it's a legio that hasn't there's, there's bits and pieces around it but we've seen some reimaginings of things as as the game has progressed from the, the core release with the grandmaster set so um but I think it's a it's a really interesting and cheap counter threat to uh aggressive play from your opponent um it's got the obviously the um I think on the one hand, if if you're playing an Ignatum player and you suspect they might have that, you might be a, a little bit more controlled in when you make your charges, so you can maybe dictate charge. Um, but I also think it's interesting that um, within three inches means that they may have stepped within void shield range, and you may be blasting away with a, a melter cannon, for example, uh, a, a technically unshielded titan, although I think using a blast weapon is possibly not the best idea at that range. Uh, I don't know, maybe you feel lucky and maybe you think you can hit accurately enough, but I, I think it's a very interesting method of maybe making your opponent think twice before they charge with a, a an aggressive titan or charge with a banner of knights. Um, and that that could turn, turn things around uh, Enough that you know. I think from the games that I've had, when once you get down to melee combat with Titans, it's incredibly brutal um, because you can be more accurate with calling your shots because most of the melee weapons have bonuses to hit, um, and because they are so destructive and you've got no void shields. So although it's a low chance, because I don't think you're really likely to you know one shot a Titan with any weapon unless it's already damaged. I think there's potentially enough of a threat there to make an opponent possibly think twice about some charges. Yeah, I mean, if you're running at a warlord who's got a some fury plasma cannon, that's going to really you're going to have to you're going to make them blink. Mm-hmm. 
definitely. And I, I think, you know, it's it's cheap enough. And I, I think it's one that you can take multiple times because I don't think there's a restriction on it. I think the actual, you can only take it unless it says you can. So I believe you can only have one of them in your deck. That's right. Uh, you're right on that. But I think, as, as you say, it's cheap enough that, you know, you can slot it in there and use that to, to potentially shut down uh, charges or at least make somebody blink before they charge. Uh, so I think it's I think it's cheap. I think it's a very good counter threat. And again, I think it fits with the aggressive nature of the Legio in terms of, you know, we, we they see themselves as the last loyal Titans of Mars. Uh so let, let them come to us and we will show them the error of their ways. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to the second stratagem, Guard the Gates, which is a two-point stratagem. I'm less fond of this one because I think it sits at odds with the rest of the abilities. Not that it's bad, it just doesn't quite slip in. I, I'd agree with you there because and when we come to look at the personal traits in a moment, it, we'll see the kind of resurgence of the theme um, Guard the Gates feels like it wants you to be making first fire regularly, and for first fire you're going to want longer ranged weapons, which means you're probably not going to be taking advantage of the Legio trait. Uh, you're also, I think, being pushed there towards taking more longer range weapons, which takes you outside of the mid-range brawler and into the longer range gun line. Um, it maybe plays into taking things like Warbringers, um, or more longer-ranged uh, warlords, but you're right. It, it, it's definitely one that's at odds with the other mid to short-range tactics. I think it's also interesting as well, though, and I think I've seen this talked about a bit online. Um, when you play it, is at the start of the first strategy phase, but it doesn't appear to switch off with the rules as written. So it appears for two stratagem points from the start of the game onwards, you can get free first fire for engines. Um, I do wonder if there might be an FAQ. To tighten up the wording on Ooh. that, if it is intended to yes, switch up, I haven't, I haven't seen that before. Um, yes, I think that is an FAQ job because for two points, that is awfully cheap to ignore. Or to well, yes, I think it's it's too cheap at two stratagem points to be on for the entire game. But I I also think that perhaps if it was bumped up to three, then it could be enough to make to to provide almost a second route for building Legio Maniples in in that yeah. you could go down the, the brawler um, route, which is going to play into the majority of the Legio's strengths, or you could go down the guard the gates alternative route um, or supplementary route where you're almost um, you know, doubling your threat ability by focusing some Titans at range and some at short yeah, range. Yeah, that would be interesting. Because if, for example, it's FAQ'd and they say, yes, you, it is for the remainder of the game, that does open up quite a large array of options. Mm -hmm. It does mean you could have one or two backfield titans, and for those two points, you're going to always be able to activate those two titans. Yes, and and but, I th I think I'd like to see if it if it is going to get FAQ'd. I think I would I would be in favour of it going up a point and staying on for the entire game because first fire orders in and of themselves are kind of restrictive. You know, you lose the ability to to activate in the movement phase and make turns. Um, which, you know, in a game with fixed arcs can be quite punishing if you've made a f not quite measured things out properly with your eyes. Um, but but it also, as I say, it opens up that that second option for the for the builds, and I think it makes some maniples a bit more viable than others um, when when you're 
building towards first fire and long range uh, and less towards mid-range combat. So it's an odd one, but it's an interesting one. And I would like to see whether they do refine it to uh, take it in one direction or the other. But it definitely needs to be tidied up as to whether it's always on or if it's just... Because the other thing is, if it's only for the first round, and I think this is something that was raised by folks online, most games I have played of Titanicus, there's very little shooting the first round because unless you've deployed aggressively... Now, this could be the other thing they're trying to do is to get you to deploy aggressively as the Legio. Um, and again, because you're... Um, your strategies um, or you're picking your stratagems it may be that you want to build aggressively towards aggressive deployment and then take the stratagem and then get first fire and have the first round and go you know weapons free on some of the big guns uh, where you've deployed far enough forward to take advantage of it which again i think that's going to be telegraphed to your opponent if you're doing that maybe 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 therein lies the balance i don't know i yeah you see the problem I would be having with Guard the Gate is that for one point, I can take multiple times Iron Resolve that automatically allows me to pass a check. Mm -hmm. And that can be done whenever I want. So there's probably only going to be one or two Titans that want to first fire anyway. So it'd probably be easier to do Iron Resolve than just do it whenever. And I think that's another reason why it could do with a pass to, to just to tighten up how it's meant to work. Because if if you went with the assumption that it was always on for the game, then suddenly two stratagem points is is possibly well. I think yeah, if it's always on, it needs to go up in cost, but then it sits nicely against Dying Resolve, where you're automatically getting first fire from the first round onwards, versus having to have you know multiple uses of a card. Um, but yeah, I think we'll have to see how that one one yeah. plays out. Dying uh, Resolve does presume you're playing uh, Leader Incarnum as loyalists. Um, I do. I do respect that people could be trying other variants. Um, I'm going to say no more about that today. I will move on. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we, 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 we don't want to hunt down traitors this evening. Um, but no, moving on, the, the Legio-specific war gear, the Gravitonic Sensor Array is... Well, I can't help wondering if that's too cheap for what it does. But I think it's... From a narrative point of view, it makes sense that, that uh, Ignatum would have access to some you know relic-style technology that... Um, you know the triad forum, uh, triad Feromorgulus would have for being Martian. Um, I think in a game where there are so many modifiers to hit based on how well opponents hidden their engines or moved or the ranges that you're at, um, being able to hit more reliably, uh, we're we're sort of straying into that reroll territory again. You're making things more reliable. That's not a, an unreasonable bonus to have. Um, so yeah, I, I do wonder if 15 points is a bit too cheap, considering generally when you're building mana pools, you're probably going to have enough points left over to be putting this on most of your engines. Yeah, um, and, and you'd, you'd be a fool not to, because the way it the way it piles in with loyal flip few, because even if you're playing a game on planet bowling ball and there is no scenery, if you're going to get up close to enemy titans, you're going to have the rest of your titans getting in the way of your shots. Yes, um, and I think again, when you look at how it can stack up with other um, other things. So, for example, if you if your opponent's castling uh, castling up with titans at long range, and you're dropping you know barrages of apocalypse missiles on them, you're going to get the plus one to hit on the titans because you can't see them and you're firing indirectly. Plus the plus one for long range, minus one for the uh, indirect fire and suddenly you're you know you're looking at very reliable long range fire there regardless of how well your opponent's hidden so 
it's it's going to be super effective. Um, but again, as I suppose in some ways, it's maybe forces your opponent to be much more aggressive. It maybe forces them to be making those charges uh, or or sneaking around uh, in different ways. And with it probably being a given, I think most people would have to build, assuming that an Ignatum player has probably put them on. Um, so you're probably going to want to deploy accordingly and maybe even not take advantage of cover quite so much. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that 15 points isn't much, but it does add up. I mean, by the end of putting together a standard mana pool of five titans, or if you take six, you're looking at 100 points, which isn't a small amount. It will stop you taking that night banner. Because quite often you can run the five titans and the night banner. You can end up with some point. You're going to be in weird places. That So that that's a really interesting point, actually. And that's, I think... A potentially balancing factor because you could you could go down the line of making your titans super reliable at hitting other engines but i think i think knights banners of knights absolutely have a place to play as skirmishers in the game and obviously that's how the designers have intended them but again having played several games the potential threat of a banner of lancers to anything on the table at all is, is quite a good distraction um Having having Questorus uh, either as that that unit that gets ignored until they're in melter range, or using the mana pool that allows them to to tank hits on behalf of the Titans, um, they've got a lot more use than they might appear to have. Somebody who's got fewer games under their belt. So I think yeah, that's an interesting an interesting point to raise about. 15 points is not a lot on a couple of engines, but it mounts up, and that could be the banners of skirmishers that could make the difference between uh, how the game goes. Um, I suppose thinking about how often you're actually going to be shooting at, at Titans in cover. Um, 25% uh, smaller ones, yeah, but you know things like things like Warlords are quite difficult to have covered uh, at times, even if you've got the you know the big uh, terrain in the middle of the table. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think you are right. It probably could be 20 points. I think that would be enough of an increase to make it less of a... Now, I think Titanicus is, is a... I mentioned before about it being a narrative game system from my point of view. Um, I think there are very few auto-include items when you're building. I think there's enough scope and utility that you've got free reign to go down any route you want when you're putting together a maniple or a Titan or picking your Legion. Um, so I think I think the bump in points would make it less of an auto include and one of the few auto includes, and much more of a. If I'm taking this, I'm going to be building the engine that, that, to take advantage of the fact that it's got the scanners versus every single one of them have got it because I've got the points left over. Um, because it's one of those things where the, if it gets to twenty points, it it means your warhound that's armed with the two um, Balkan mega bolters and it rocks at the same price as a. Warhound with the two plasmic uh, guns, and if you're going to give the dual mega bolter plas uh, warhound this item, it's probably better than the plasma gun warhound because of the amount of shots it's going to hit. Get a hit. Think so, and that that as well, I think is is probably where it could um, do with that extra points is when you when you stack it against some of the multi shot weapons that you could be putting onto titans, and or even the multiples of multi shot weapons you could be putting onto titans, it could could quickly end up in that, um, you know, going down that avenue of this is not a fun army for an opponent to face because it's it's too super reliable at getting hits and 
knocking down shields and you know getting onto armor and i think i mean again it's it's that sort of um titanicus is a game that, that i don't think anybody would say is perfectly balanced intrinsically but it is very enjoyable in general um and if yeah if you go too far that way to making it that you know one side of the table just might as well just point their guns in the vague direction and automatically hit all the time it's probably less fun for the opponent yeah i mean my usual i've got my usual mantra of i don't mind power gaming providing both people walk away from the game having fun and um legio incarnum is the first time i've sort of looked at the list and gone i can make some hobby breaking list um where someone walk away not had fun which i think's worrying yeah i think so i mean generally the, the the folks that i've played with are all of the same mindset that that fun and narrative is the point of view that they're coming from but but i fully accept that's not the the perspective of every gamer as is their right i'm not saying there's a right way to to play games because it's, it's not for me to say but um yeah i think there is because there's potential for abuse here it would be better to check it and make it something that that you know, could be enjoyably included in the list than to be something that you know when when events become a thing again uh the last thing you want to see is from some perspectives actually seeing a lot of uh, ignatum lists would be cool but the last yeah. thing you want to see is lots of ignatum lists with all the same builds all the same war gear all the same stratagems and and becoming a sort of one-dimensional thing yeah and actually just to loop back around because probably going to say this is another point in the podcast but um you said that you know there's no wrong way to play a game. There is. Play a game in the sense that the, your opponent doesn't want to play the game. Well, yes. Yeah, I heartily agree with that. And I think that needs to be the mantra that we start, because it doesn't matter whether you play competitively or narratively. Providing you're playing a game that you and your opponent want to try and find time to play another game in. Yes. Doing everything yeah. you need to do. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think it's something that, um, I talked about on... Uh, a previous podcast for Necromunda and something we talk about a lot within the the local area here is the sort of the social contract that we have as gamers to ensure that um you know our, our opponent has a good experience we have a good experience that we don't push anybody away from the table by having a negative experience and that may may mean that when you're playing a game and it becomes obvious that you know, it's swung towards you that you pull a couple of punches because it means that that player comes back and plays again rather than gets curb stomped and thinks, no, nah, point. Um, and again, that approach isn't for everybody, but I think that's where that social contract that comes in in terms of the hobby gets stronger for having all of us playing in it. No game system will last if somebody goes around making it an unfun experience for people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so that's all. Bit of a rant about the... Sensible, right? Really good piece of war gear, but um, yeah. It is. Um, ha- having a quick look at the personal traits as well, because I think these are interesting and they lean back in towards some of the bonuses that, that uh, we've already talked about. Um, the, the first one uh, really does uh, almost force you into a very aggressive play style in terms of getting to a position where you've taken damage and then only or then repairing your weapons first. And I think from a narrative point of view, it's really interesting because you could tell some very cool stories from games where you you were incredibly aggressive on the attack, took damage, and then just keep keep pressing on your opponent. Um, I think it's one, although it encourages that, you're going to have to be a little bit careful uh, because as everybody has played... Well, no, it doesn't take a lot for Titans to go critical. Um, nope. 
once they've started taking damage and you do want to be trying to make sure that you're you know bringing shields back up or repairing uh, critical damage where you can so i think i think it's a really cool one it's it's very narrative it does you in a particular play style but that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah it's a it is a really interesting one it's very very now um but you are right like you're taking critical damage that should be your you need to fix before you start fixing weapons unless things have gone really badly i mean maybe you're running a all warhound mana pole and you've got up in the face and you've got a bat and your warhound's now badly damaged and you just want another round of shooting but i don't in, i don't want my titan to be in that situation at the start of game no, and I think the fact that it's your Princeps Sonoris Titan as well uh, lends me to think that if you're intending your Princeps Sonoris to take critical damage, then maybe you're the most aggressive Titanicus player there ever was. Um, and again, I, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just I think it's a little bit more aggressive than I would want to play with such a pivotal Titan to your, your battle group. Um but it could could lead to some very interesting stories where you know Titan your your Titan takes a lot of critical damage, repairs some weapons and blasts away at its foes and limps off the field. Um, maybe fits more in with campaign play, perhaps where you know the lasting effect of the damage on your Titans comes into in, into play. Yeah, it's quite narrow that one. I think um, Foe Slayer is a little bit more interesting in the way that it combos with some things. Um, you know, if you're adding one to the result of armor rolls with a, a chosen weapon um, during the combat phase, you're probably going to be taking advantage, well, you are going to be taking advantage to some extent of either We Loyal Few or um, uh, the accuracy bonuses perhaps as well from the weapon itself. Um, I love the fact that if it's Mortis or Tempestus, uh, then you're you're doing it twice. I think that sort of fits with the those that turn their faces from Mars uh, deserve our wrath. Um, and I I also noted as well that um, the only weapon that has rending, if I'm remembering right, is the chain fist on the Reaver. But it could be a really nice combo. Again, you'd have to you'd have to build with this in mind and you'd probably have to be playing somebody who was happy with your picking traits or gambling on that D3 roll. But if you had that stack up with rending, you could get some very, very interesting armor rolls, which are balanced by having to get close enough to use the chain fist in the first place. Yeah. yeah it's, it's probably, I like when I do a campaign or if I'm doing a narrative event, like I did at the Iron Halo, I have people pick traits because you're building a character. And it's close layer is probably the one I will end up picking for a lot of my princeps because it's got that sort of flexibility and it's I don't know it's got that narrative to it. Um, even if I will have to apologise to Tempestus and Mortis players. Uh, well, I, th- I think that's where it fits in quite nicely, isn't it? Is is that you know the 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 little bit of um, context text that that there is there is that you know the the princeps believes that. You know, only by wiping out every traitorous member of the Collegiate Titanica will they get their honor back. Um, and that's quite a cool story to, to create for a character, I think. You know, this is a, a princeps that presumably, you know, knew some of the those who've turned, uh, turned traitor. Uh, and so it's almost like a personal level of insult to them. Um, so they are determined to just punish them completely. Um, so yeah, I think if you were picking, that's probably the one you would go for. Um, but it's not, 
I don't think it's an auto pick in the same way that the gravitonic sensor away would was was seeming to be. Um, and there's scope in there that it's it's not. It's a nice bonus, but it's not a game changing bonus because to get to the armor roll, you've got to have popped the shields or got close enough to get around them. Yeah, and it also only gives you the bonus in the combat phase, which is a pleasant note. Yes, like yeah. it doesn't matter um, if you're first firing or doing some other shenanigans. It's and I think with you having to choose the weapon as well, um, it, it does. Um, it means that it's not going to change the game from your opponent's point of view. It's something that they can be aware of. You know, they'll they'll know that that's the trait that your princeps has got. They'll be looking at the Titan and thinking, okay, well, he could pick the the melter cannon to get that bonus on, or he could pick, uh, you know, the the mega bolters. We'll we'll see how it it shakes out, but you'd be aware of that. My reading is you get to pick every combat phase, so you, it gives you a lot of flexibility. I don't think you're tied to it, but yeah, and and I think that's probably quite interesting as well because it means that you could gain the bonus from a distance if you got lucky shots and stripped some shields off. But I, th I think it's really going to come into play once you've closed, you've got strip, you know, shield stripped, and maybe you've got a carapace mega bolter that you know you're just thinking, well, if I throw enough dice, I can strip enough structure points off to finish it. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a really interesting style of play that it's encouraging there is to, to pick and choose the appropriate weapon for the range you're at. Yeah, well, it's the going to combo of brokenness, you know, your war, your warhound with your gravitonic sensor array and that against a mortis player is rocking in 12 strength five hits that are not going to miss. Um, yeah. Um, and I suppose that 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 plays into that social contract element there of you know if you're if you're aware that there's a combo that works like that you you can take it but I think that says quite a lot about you as a player in some ways yeah yeah and um, I think this is I mean I'm sure I'm going to have said this a lot in the pre in the episode that will come out before this is the there are a lot of places here that you can just run off absolutely um, but I, I feel like the way that titanicus in particular and i think this fits into the wider context of 30k is that there's almost a kind of belief in players that they will make choices from a point of view of telling the story or because it's cool versus that rule is awesome and i have to absolutely have it yeah yeah um so the final one is eternal guardian which is really interesting yeah and this one i think you know, looping back around to guard the gates, I think there's a couple of links here in terms of, you know, if you're first firing, you're not going to have been moving. Um, this is probably the one you'd pick if you were including or thinking about including guard the gates in your potential stratagems. Um, I think the reroll of an armor roll versus adding plus one is, is an interesting differential. Um, not having moved, you're, you're probably not going to be using that on melee weapons, uh, which is playing into the longer range guardian element. Um, and I suppose it's it's interesting that they've actually they've included a trait which almost makes guard the gates be a relevant stratagem to be taking if you're going down that route. If you put it on a warlord and you've got yourself, you know, mid table and you're just basically now just sitting on top of an objective, it's really nice. And I. I think that's probably going to be again. It's probably going to be the one that factors. You know, what kind of engines are you taking in your in your battle group? If you've got more hounds and reavers, eternal guardians probably not uh, one you'd want to be choosing. But as you say, a, a warlord that's you know meandered up the table and got itself a good position to fire from, um, 
yeah, re-rolling armor rolls could make yeah, or even even apocalypse launchers, you know, on a damaged enough Titan. I think that could be a significant threat. Yeah. And it's not re-roll ones; it's re-roll one dice. So if you if you're fishing for sixes, you can fish for sixes. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think again, that's that's the thing that makes it sort of sit apart quite nicely is that it's encouraging you to um oh, it's, a, it's a may re-roll but it's encouraging you as you say you to either fish for the the sixes on something that's uh doing that or you know the, it could be the difference between a, a superficial hit and a actual solid hit um and again it plays into that narrative of of you know this is a legio that um you know will take up a position and defend it at all costs so you know if, if you come within their threat range they will hammer you to to, to punish that um so i think i think it's quite quite a nice one again it's it's probably i'm reluctant to put any of them into tiers because i think they're all good uh personal traits but i think it's yeah it's the one that segues nicest with guard the gates and it's the one that plays the most into the static defending element of the legio versus the more aggressive attacking element in the legio and in that way it's quite a nice spread of um traits that are available to you I think it's I think it's the one that would change my battle plan if I was rolling on it randomly. So start the game I roll randomly and it's the one that would come up and be like, oh, okay, I have to change my what I was gonna do. Because I'm now gonna have to put my princeps in a position where it can stand still. Yes. Um and that that, that one I think is yeah, I think if you were doing it randomly, that would be probably the one you would dread getting um versus the other two. But I think it, yeah, it gives you some interesting options to explore. And as you say, if you're running an event where people are designing a character to take through, or if you're running a campaign that, that you're doing the same thing, I think there could be some really interesting late, you know, mid to late stage games there where actually you've got princeps who are experienced enough to march up the table, occupy a position, and just you know hose things as they get near enough. Yeah, and I think I um, mean my usual rule. Of uh, thumb is like, is this tri- is this tree of traits better than the ones in the main book? And I'm my gut says I'm going to be rolling on this table and the one in the book. I think so, and I mean that was was probably we're looping back around to expectations of the Legio when uh, things were being released. Um, I I think I was I was looking for the same kind of thing in terms of all of the games I've played up until this point have been with effectively a another legio um i've not felt the temptation to use other legios traits or anything like that i've just taken the extra stratagem points that have been on offer um so yeah the the sort of do i want to be looking at the table of traits that are available in the book versus do i want to be taking something that comes from my own legios traits uh, i think i'm in the same situation even if i'm rolling randomly there's nothing that i would really miss from the D6 roll versus the D3 on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think, personally, the my Warlord Titan, which is generally my princeps, if I go to an event, it's going to carry on having the trait it's always had because that's the character of that Titan. But my newer Titans I paint up, who, if their Titans are princeps, they're going to have different traits. I think the ones out of this book are better. And I think that's a, that's a really... Uh... Uh, talking back at the, the narrative element there again, I think you know Titans are quite persistent war machines. They're they're designed, as we we're saying earlier, to to fight other super heavy constructs. But obviously, you know the the background 
is replete with stories of engines that have fought from one end of the galaxy to the other and uh, princeps who've survived multiple conflicts and gone from, you know, worked their way up from fighting in Warhounds up to, to Warlords. So it's I think it's really cool to have, you know, different princeps titans at different stages in their careers, different preferences and, and all the stories that lead off of that from the start point you give them by picking their trait and then the games you play that are shaped by, uh, you know, how that trait played out. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we've done the rules to death. Um, the only thing I will touch on here is, have you ever looked at the Titan of Legend for Legion Incarnum? I have. Yeah. So Iracundus is a really interesting one. Um, and I, I, do you know the story behind the origins of Iracundus? Because it's actually a real Titan. So Iracundus is uh, Lee Marshall's reaver, and um, oh. he he took it along to the, the test game, if I remember rightly. And he had modified it so that he could put an MP3 speaker inside it. And I cannot remember what the name of the song was, but when when he declared a charge, I think he Bluetooth played something like ACDC through its speaker. And um, you know, Lee's, Lee's a fantastic guy. Um, but the, the designers kind of fastened onto this. Uh, element of Iracundos, you know, emitting a blasting wave of sound that uh, would, you know, affect the command capabilities of other engines. So when when it appeared, uh, it was awesome. You know, it's another, it's a, that, that really cool kind of feedback of reality shaping something in a fictional setting. Um, but it's cool enough and believable enough that you you actually could see a Titan modified to screech sound and paralyze its opponents. Um, I think. Uh, looking at the the data card for it, um, obviously you're locked into your loadout with a laser blaster, a Gatling blaster, and Apocalypse missile launcher. I think from a, a building point of view, um, that's probably a good, reasonable comers loadout for a Reaver. So it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. I was against it until I got the in autumn rolls. <laughs> it's a pretty good loadout for us now. Um. It is. Um, you, you know, you're, you're taking advantage of the traits enough that you're not losing out by being locked in. Um, I think it's a good balance between throwing enough dice on the Gatling Blaster, having some punch with the Laser Blaster, and being able to strip shields at range with the Apocalypse Missile Launcher. And then you add in Hear My Fury, and I think, I think it's a really interesting ability. So 18-inch uh, range of effect. Uh, in the movement phase, you can forgo your activation doing nothing but and counting as one of your activations. But if you do so, pick an enemy Titan within 18 inches. Titan must make a command check. And if it fails at any order, it has ends and is removed from its command terminal. It's one that's going to be really, it's a bonus that's quite situational because you've got to be close enough to not need to move. You've also got to be close enough to put them within that 18-inch bubble. But we talked a lot before about how most of the weapons Although there are some that have got quite long ranges, most of them want you to be in that mid-range 18 to 24-inch kind of area. Um, but I think the ability to strip an order just after it's been put on uh, in the movement phase, that could be enough if you get your activations right to stop somebody who's put a charge order on making a charge. Um, it, it's not going to cancel out emergency repairs because that's already happened. Um, but you could also block first fire. Um, so it's quite an interesting way, I think, of dictating the way that your opponent's turn is going to go before anything else has even happened. 
Um, so I think it interacts really, really nicely with the Legio rules, which is obviously some really good forward planning for it. Um, I think from a hobbying point of view, um, as I say, Irikundos is a Titan that's that's been built and painted by Lee. So there is a color scheme uh, and markings for it. So if you wanted to, and in fact, actually, uh, Lee has built a Titanica scale version of Irikundos and painted it to match the 28 millimeter scale one. Um, so you, you could you could apply the markings to to match. And at 310 points, it's not going to break the bank when you look at comparable builds of a stock Titan. So yeah, fe feeding into the, if you're playing Legio Ignatum and you're going to take a Reaver and you were looking at that loadout, why wouldn't you take Irikundos? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's move on to, let's talk about hobbying. We're moving around it, and I think it's a. I think the biggest matter of debate that came out when we finally got our rules was on the paint schemes. It's always been with Lee and Carnum, the paint mm, schemes. Yep. Um, I personally was always a fan of the gold trim. Um, there were people out there who were silver trim, and uh, now we have a uh, black trim. Um, so where do you fall down that rabbit hole? So I have silver trim on all of mine. I won't, won't be repainting any. Um, I. I think that Titan Legios, particularly some of the you know the, the earlier ones, are big enough, and the Galaxy has enough scope in it that you can have any color trim that you wanted and not be overwriting or ignoring anything. Um, I went with silver based on there's a piece of artwork which was on one of the novels. I think it's on Legacies of Betrayal, the right one. It's the Burden of Loyalty, uh, which has the Warlord walking beside an Imperator. And that one has uh, gold trim on one side with a blue uh, inset and then what looks to be gold on the other side. Um, and the offset stripes, which I think I've seen a few folks do, which are really cool. But um, when I started doing paint tests, I found that silver contrasted better with red because it's colder than gold in in tone um so it provided a nice offset that wasn't too many warm colors between the yellow and the red and the gold uh, so i went with went with silver on mine uh, but i think um i think any of the three is a is a valid option and i think the potential narrative you could build there from having you know a maniple with black maybe in mourning for isolated from mars or one with gold might be a more uh princeps with particular uh um service history for example or something so you could, you could mix and match i think that's that's generally how i've been in my mind to put it together because to me we've got the standard livery is red with silver that was the livery at the in the great crusade um and then when they started being deployed to places on em the emperor's orders which started before the heresy, because they started being deployed with the custodians. It's mentioned in Crucible of Retribution. They get, those titans get the gold trim because they're becoming they become the guardians. And then the titans that were on Mars that got off Mars and, and have had assets destroyed, like the titan actually described in the Black Book, which we have a color plate for, talks about that all its honorary banners have been burnt by the uh, New Mechanicum. They go black because they have been they they've lost the battle and they they're in mourning for Mars. I, th I think it's a really cool idea, and I think it, it means that you could actually build a really cool narrative into your battle group because maybe it's composed of engines with different uh, colors of trim that have come together 
for you know for a particular engagement and and therefore maybe if you were you know telling the story through a campaign you might have story evolve based on their experiences so the ones in morning might be more aggressive might be trying to uh, close with uh, engines and and fight more up close and those who have more of a guardian type role might sit further back and so i think there's a lot to mine into there um from a narrative point of view um so yeah no i think i think it's really cool that we've got uh, variation there i have i have seen some folks uh discussing it from various points of view as to whether or not you know the black trim on the color plates in uh, crucible is the correct interpretation or even if things like the um the honeycomb pattern is something that should be repeated across but i think if you look at um I kind of feel like Titans are a bizarre cross. We, we talked about this a wee bit before. Titans are a bizarre cross between aircraft and ships in that, for the most part, fight in the same way that battleships do. You have to plan your maneuvers. You have to plan your lanes of fire. And they're slow and they're ponderous. But they're also almost coming at it from a Nozar individuality perspective of every Titan has its own character. Every Princeps has their own character and battle honors and history. And so they should be slightly different, um, whether that's the trim on the armor panels or, you know, the honeycomb could be depictive of a particular thing. Or um, I actually need to go back through mine and add some more Legio markings because they were all built and painted before the decal sheets came out. Um, but I think you can use the wasp heads in particular ways or, you know, you're, you've got free reign to use the markings to create whatever you want for them. And that could be just down to changing the color of the inlay of a panel to blue in sorrow or something. Um, I don't think there's a right way to be painting them. Yeah, the blue paneling is an interesting one because that's definitely come from that one piece of artwork on Legacy Betrayal. Um, and that hasn't been repeated. So, But again, there's an easy explanation for it. I mean, um, I think the Legacy Betrayal guys were definitely going for a deployment, so it's probably a campaign badge or something would be my... I, I think so. I mean, the fact that it's on the that that picture is obviously representative of Titans that have been deployed on Terra as well. So yeah, I think there's something inherent there about the place and time that the picture is supposed to be depicting that lends blue to being a specific marking for those engines. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, on, on one of my Warlords, I have a tilt shield that's blue uh, on the same side. Um, the other one uh, doesn't have the tilt shields. It's got the uh, the plates with the blocked off sections. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I think the same as most folks, I've tried to create that in, image of individuality, but with the overall color scheme fitting into the, the Legio colors on, on mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I, it's been one of those things because I've always been very, when I first got into it, I was very, it's got to be gold trim. Everything's gold trim. Um, and letting myself be okay with like variation that color scheme has been a very interesting experience. It's, I think, I mean, I, I, so as I say, I, I adopted silver on all of mine from the beginning, but one of the things I tried to do, um, so uh, red is probably one of my favorite colors to paint um, and, and has been for quite a long time. So I fairly quickly worked out how I was going to do the panels and I'm a an old fashioned brush painter. Um, I, I do try to use rattle cans for priming but a lot of the time I prime things gray and then I work by hand I just find that, that that's better for me um exploring the possibility of airbrushing but 
like I say, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned painter. Uh, It'll open up tips and tricks, and I'm not against it. It's just this this is the way I've done mine. So everything was built up um, slowly. I built almost all of the Titans without the plates on them, so I could work on them individually. Um, But it also meant that I had the freedom then to mask off a panel and do the hazard stripes for the the yellow and the black without having to try and do it on a warlord that was fully assembled on a, you know, on a leg plate underneath something. Um, So the, the colors I'd already worked out how I was going to do them. It was assembling them all to create a coherent color scheme. That was the trick for me. So, um, you know, ensuring there were enough panels on some that were wasp striped to fit in with the overall color scheme. Um, and putting them in, but then putting them in ways that were slightly different. So the colors were there, but the markings were individual for each Titan. So I've, I've got a pair of Warhounds, which have got stripes on their front carapace, but I think one runs with the, the points up and one points down. So there's the subtle difference there. And then the other two have the markings on the back and the stripes are slightly offset from one another so that they're not exactly the same. And they've got that individual marking pattern. I suppose from a from a distance, a uh, you know a princeps would sort of know that 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 engine was a particular engine based on the markings. Yeah, I did. I've been dropping in the order black panel um, because I think it, it 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 gives the illusion of that black and yellow. One of the things, one of the things I did with my warlords actually is the um, and I'm ha- happy to share pictures of them if if you want um is that the majority of the stripe panels on one are on the so the legs on one have what's almost like a a straight line of stripes running up the legs and then onto the shoulders and the other one has the stripes concentrated on the thighs groin and then the insides of the shoulders so it's almost creating a focus around the center of it and then both have yellow heads so it's partly from a painter's perspective of creating focus but partly from a I was kind of thinking of it from a, these are threat markings as well as identification markings. So this is, this is saying this is not something to, to trifle with. Um, and the same with the, the Reavers that I've got, they've all got different stripe markings. One's got stripes all the way across the carapace, but they run, instead of being in a point, they run all the way across and two have got them on their uh, shoulder plates. Um, and then I've incorporated them onto things like the, the carapace um the cowlings of the carapace weapons on some of them and that kind of thing. And that was, that was an interesting experience. One of the, the factors that went into deciding the Legio actually was figuring out whether I could do the stripes well enough to be happy with them. And um, that led to, led me to discover something which I, I wanted to make sure I talked about in the hobby section, which is uh, Tamiya tape for curves. It's Phenomenal masking tape. And if you're doing Legio Ignatum or anything else with stripes, I think it's it's an, almost a given that you need it. Um, the, the tape's available in varying widths, which are perfect for doing the stripes on Ignatum Titans. And um, if you can freehand them, knock yourself out. <laughs> but it got, to the, it got to the point, once I'd got practiced enough and got familiar with the tape, and um, I found that what I needed to do to stop it from peeling some of the paint off at times was to stick it on the back of my hand a couple of times before I actually masked. But um, yeah, once you get into the habit of it, you can knock out plates super quick by just, you know, putting the putting the masking tape on, uh, putting the panel, you know, lining in the colors um, 
and off you go. Um, and then what, what I was doing with mine was I was putting the panel color on and then I would line in around the edge of the trim and then I would paint the trim and then shade the trim. So it's quite a fast process once you got into the swing of things. Yeah, I collected a Nine Warriors army uh, back in the day. So I was, I, I, and I was pretty good at doing hazard stripes freehand. But a lot of what I, well, a lot of my hazard stripes were, I mean, if you look at my models, were painting them thin enough that all I was doing was a yellow line and then going and putting black dots down it. So from a couple of feet away, it looked like on a, on a you know, on the side of a bolt gun, there's a run of hazard stripes. Yeah, it doesn't work on a Titan panel like that. And that's, and that's when I invested in the tape, because, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's another one of those things that uh, there's probably been folk who have been hobbying for years who found it, but it was definitely uh, that unlocked the possibility of Ignatum for real for me was knowing that I could, could use the tape. Um, I did have one horror experience with it, though. When the, when the uh, warp missiles came out for the Reavers, I got two of those, and I, I gave them a scrub, gave them a soak, cleaned them all up, built them, started painting. Uh, got to the stage where I one of them has uh, red plating, and the other one has hazard painting uh, plating. Um, so I, I masked it off, painted it all in, peeled the tape off, and it stripped it back to resin. It's like no, but what I ended up doing was I think I I mapped. I gloss varnished it a couple of times and then matte varnished it and then just freehanded back over the bits that were damaged. Um, and it actually came out quite nicely. But uh, there was a, a probably about a 20-minute period where the air was blue and I was cursing everything. <laughs> uh, that was sort of like, that's an evening's worth of painting that's just onto pot there. But Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think we're getting pretty close to the end of what I plan to cover. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, tricks and tips and stuff? Um, I think uh, from a tips and tricks point of view, uh, there's a couple, couple of things. So, yeah, I mentioned about the masking tape. I think not not just for this Legio, but for, for any Titan Legio, uh, stripes are a pretty prominent way of displaying markings, and the tape will make things much easier. Um, I think the other thing is around... Um, when you're uh, sort of thinking about the style of, of painting, um, there's obviously, you know, there's a whole way, range of ways you can paint things. There's no, no right way of doing them, whether you're going for plates on or plates off or different color trim or um, anything like that. I think it's probably worth stressing for anybody who's building Titans for the first time uh, to, to pay really close attention to the fitting of some of the pieces. Um, I have a Reaver that's actually nicknamed um, or had a nickname around uh, Oaken Legs, I think it was, because the way that I had assembled the legs meant that the, the shin plates had to be adjusted slightly to go on. Um, the, I thought it was really interesting, actually, that the Warbringer kit, which came out obviously at the start of this year, had actually taken steps to avoid that in the design by being very, very carefully uh, you know, it had the pegs that, that gave you the default pose. Um, so if you were just assembling straight out of the box, you wouldn't have to worry about misalignment, although I've seen some phenomenal uh, poses with what the people have done with them. Um, so, yeah, I suppose from from a, from a if, if you're getting into the game and you haven't built a Titan yet, um, watch the legs on the Warlords and the Reavers in particular. Um, and I think the, the, the sort of other 
thing to focus on and it's less of a, t- a trick or a tip is that there is no right build uh, for any Titan. There's no weapons that are objectively better than any others. So go for what looks cool for you when you're picking a Legio, when you're arming your Titans, um, particularly if you're magnetizing uh, because, well, it's the other thing to mention is, is that the magnetization option is baked into the game with everything but the reaver arm weapons and the warlords to uh, the warhound arm weapons to an extent but with a little bit of effort you can you can sort those and i think it's probably well worth doing that because you know there's nothing again lee's efforts to create every living titan known to man aside i think you know you can keep it quite a small collection and just swap the weapons out which is what would do I was going to say what would happen in real life there. I'm talking about far future as if it's a real thing, but you'd rotate your, your loadouts on your engines as well. So magnetizing is definitely something to have a wee look at, I think. Yeah. No, and I think, I mean, I know you mentioned price a few minutes ago. I just, my usual hobby horse is that Titanicus isn't an expensive war game. Um, it feels like it when you're getting involved, but at the end of the day, you can play with five models. Yes, I think it's it scales really well like that. And it's another one which... Um, I was going to say it's it's as expensive as you want to make it. Obviously, every hobby is as expensive as you want to make it. But I think Titanicus is a really good example of um, you could buy a couple of um, so you could you could buy the set that's got the Reaver and Warhounds and a couple of Knights in it. You could pick up some weapon upgrades and then the following month add another Titan. But because you've got the battle group is what you're building to, you can almost pick and choose the route that you go down in your purchases know that you've got a force that you can field that that can stand up against almost anything else at a similar level of points um, and it seems to have been optimized for that points level to be a handful of models you can obviously go bigger or smaller but there seems to be a sort of an ideal you know there's the recommended points level in the in the rule book um which will give you uh, you know a good game with a handful of models on either side um isn't isn't going to break the bank. No. No, I mean, I, I really like the new starter box they put out. I've said that many a times. And I think it's just, yeah, we're in a really good place, the hobby. Um, I just wish we could play more games. I think so. And I mean, I think that's that's the other interesting thing to observe as well. And this is just based on some things I've seen being talked about just relatively recently, actually. So with the release of the two Mechanicum Pattern Night kits, the only thing that is now not available in miniature form is the Atropos, if I remember right. Um, the other Karastas patterns are there. The Castorus patterns are all there now. We've got the Warlord, the Warbringer. There's, I'm firmly of the belief that there is a second sprue coming for weapons for the Warbringer, which will have the roof-mounted uh, Volcano Cannon and Melter Cannon and Gatling Blaster for the arms. Uh, so I'm hopeful that that will appear in that format because that would then mean that each plastic Titan kit, other than the Warhounds, which have got all their options in the box, has got all the main options available to it in plastic. And then it's just the roof ones for the Reaver and there's bits and pieces in resin. But um, we're mostly there now for what exists in 28 millimeter scale or has been shown off in color plates or artwork in the books. Um, obviously, I've talked about um, oh, and I've, I've missed that we've got the Order Sinister Warlord as well, um, which I think, I mean, I, I bought one as soon as they appeared. I think it's an awesome kit. I don't want to 
I'd be happy to chat about that another time rather than taking up more time under the, the uh, Ignatum banner. But um, there has been a lot come out. So thinking about, you know, talked about where I'd got into Adeptus Titanicus, coming in on the ground floor with the Grandmaster box set. Back then we had the the Warlord and the uh, Castorus Knights. We then rapidly got Reavers and the Warhounds. Um, and then they fleshed out the weapon options for those. Uh, we got the Karastus Knights. We got more weapon options. We got the Warbringer. We got more Karastus Knights. So I think, yeah, 100% agreeing that the game is in a really healthy place. If we, if we took out the fact that people can't play at the moment, there's a really large selection of models and weapons available. You can build a full knight household if you want to, and there's enough variation in that that um, you know it's not just going to be a, a bunch of murder turtle uh Nights um, making the game unfun for everybody. Um, but uh, I think it means that we've now got a solid foundation that can then add corrupted titan uh, titans, corrupted knight banners with potentially you know upgrade kits to change them and rules to change them. Uh, I think it's a given that there's more auto sinister titans to come because the rules seem to have been built with the redundancy for those. And I think that it's been hinted enough that there is a scout class Titan that's between a Warhound and a Reaver to come. Um, I think I think it's put it in a really good place where there's a lot of solid options. There's a lot of entry points for people. You can build a force that's what you want it to be. And that's all happened fairly quickly because it was only a couple of years ago that the game first came on the scene. And it was the autumn release slot uh, as well, if I remember right. So in a very short space of time, we've got to a really, really healthy point, uh, And it means that there's a really solid foundation for the game to build forwards on. I feel like we've got some ti- uh, more Titans coming soon. Like I expect we'll see the new, I'm surprised we haven't seen the other Warbringer already as sort of pegging it before the end of the year. But I think we're we pretty much know what the end of the year release is going to be now. I think so. Although I did wonder, given the, so the countdown to this, this preview this weekend, um, there was, I know that Titanicus hasn't been put in the banner. I did wonder if there could be something shown off around Corrupted Titans with maybe like a plastic sprue of, of warped plates or something. Uh, but yeah, I think I think specialist games are probably going to struggle to squeeze in, in into the quarter four release slot this year. But I think it means that we might get a really cool start to next year with some releases. Well, we basically had Blood Bowl. I mean, that's been, <laughs> I mean, Blood Bowl has taken the entirety of this month. I mean, they don't, it's a huge release. So. It has, although there is, uh, yeah, jumping back to, to Underworlds, there's Dire Chasm to come before Christmas. That's that's getting squeezed out. And then there's obviously the Battle Force boxes that they have uh, previewed and things as well. So I, I think, because I, I, I saw somebody talking earlier on about with the preview that was quite obviously a Van Saar miniature, would they maybe limbo Necromunda, the book House of Artifice releases into quarter four? And I just, I don't think there's room left now because Christmas is so close and there's that two week gap over Christmas and, and Hogmanay, but um, yeah, well, they like, they generally only do one more release following uh, black Friday. And that's going to be the, um, Oh, what's it called? The box they're showing off tomorrow, uh, this weekend. So, yeah. Um, but again, I mean the, the, yeah, we, we've, we talked a wee bit before we came on about how the, the world has changed given the pandemic. And I think the fact that we've gotten some releases for the game this year in terms of the supplements, uh, we got the Warbringer at the start and the Knights through the year, um, means that we could, I don't think you could realistically complain that the game hasn't been supported. And I think if we hadn't had 
COVID impacted, we probably would have seen the Warbringer by now and possibly be even seeing previews of new things that, that we'll be getting next year. But um, yeah. I think Titanicus is not going away. That's my big sort of... I think it's the... There are specialist games I look at and go, how long are you going to be on the list for? Um, but I don't see Titanicus doing that. No, I think the fact that it's nestled quite safely into the wider 30k uh, banner uh, gives it some security and longevity. And I think the fact as well that there's always scope to add new miniatures, although I think sometimes there's a question of should you? does it what does it bring to the setting um and i i always think there's a risk of of a game like titanicus falling into the view of oh yeah we've made this cool new thing because we can sell you a new kit versus it fits in with the narrative that's kind of the thing from a business point of view is that you want to sell miniatures and you, you need to do that and I'm, I'm i'm not being cynical about that at all but i think because it fits in with that wider it's a narrative driven game with a very firm setting um there's a lot to explore obviously from the points of view of you know legio rules uh adding in the corruption elements and how that interacts with things adding in different war zones or uh, elements like the card packs for open engine war there's a lot to play with in the in there and it's it's more like a sandbox uh for players than a fixed setting um and I think it's one that will always have a draw for people as well, because who doesn't like the idea of, of stomping around in giant mechanical, uh, big, big stompy robots with big guns? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see, because I, I suspect at some point we're going to see a second edition, because um, it's the general Games Workshop method. I mean, it's the way to make people spring out a pile of money again. Um, I do wonder, though, if given the sort of looking at so, so actually, season two of Blood Bowl is a, a fairly good example with it with it being so recent. Um, you've got the core box set and then the separate release of the, the rulebook and cards. And I, th- I think with the supplement release and card release model that we've seen with Titanicus since the Grandmaster and then, you know, the kind of almost relaunch with the actual core set um, approach, that version two could well be, you know, a starter box type package which means that if you're first getting into it or you're looking at starting a new force that's your route but equally if you've gone down the line of assembling a, a legio force uh you just pick up version two of the rule book uh and maybe some new you know new supplements on top of that i get the feeling that that there's a real recognition now that that hobbyists will shell out money for a new version of the game but you've got to strike that balance between those who are established and have got everything they need and they just need the rules to get playing and therefore will not buy anything if you just do a core set release um, versus, you know, to, to continue to play this game, you must buy another box set with uh, models that you already have. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of regret, I mean, I like the starter set, but I do miss the rules box. I think that was a, yeah, I mean, it struck me that, in the run-up to the actual release of the game, there was a lot of conversation about how poor a starter set the Grandmaster Edition was, which I thought was really interesting because the the studio team were really clear from the get-go, this is not a starter box. This is just us collecting things together in a box that will be a bit more value than if you bought everything separately. Um, and so then, obviously, you had that core core rules box, which gave you everything you needed to play the game but the models, and you could then 
what we've talked about before about assembling a force using the kits that that you preferred um and i think that was a, that was another interesting route in was that you could buy that and a couple of you know a couple of titans two two warhounds and a reaver and that set and you were off um or a warlord and a couple of uh you know a couple of night banners and a couple of other bits um i also wonder if maybe you know because we've had the new core box which has obviously got version 1.1 of the rule book um and i think the uh the rule set's been through enough iterations now that it would make sense to update the rule book so that you're not carting around a handful of faqs but at the same time it's that careful balance of how often are you going to reissue a rule set yeah i think we're probably a couple of years I expect, I expect like 2022. Well, again, I think it speaks to the solidarity of the base rule set that the FAQs have been tweaks and clarifications rather than full redesigns. Um, and, you know, from the from the games that I've played and what I was saying earlier on about there not being objectively any bad weapons or bad titans, you know, it's, it's really reflective of how granular the rule set is. Um, and so I think if there was a second version, it, it, it would much more be, a, I suppose, a likening it to the transition between um, 8th and 9th editions of 40K versus the transition from 7th to 8th, where it was a total rewrite. You know, it's just going to be tightening things up and, and maybe condensing some of the base rules into one book that have been spread over the supplements. Yeah. But... And some of the ancillary rules need to be tightened up stratagems all the optional rules um the actual core rule book is odd <laughs> it's a great game but there's just a lot of if you want to do this if you want to do that if you want to do that and I, it's not a design system we've seen them carry on with no and i think i mean one of the things actually that that is quite striking about the rule book it, and actually i think this could be an interesting thing that they could do is to, to you know to do a second version of it without actually necessarily changing the rules that much would be to consider the layout a bit more carefully because there are a lot of options so even just looking at the movement phase so you you know you've got you've got the movement that the titan can make you've got the turns but you can boost power to locomotors to move more quickly you can boost power to stabilizers to get more turns but they're in little box outs that aren't necessarily in the same place as the main section of what's being described um there's lots of little box outs that talk about the really cool elements of the game, but aren't necessarily laid out in a way that's conducive to, oh yes, and then I can do that thing. Um, in fact, the last game I played, which was over the summer, because we had the lifting restrictions and I got around to my pals, uh, pal Kieran's, and we played a game. We discovered we'd been doing power to stabilize a slightly wrong because with, or was it locomotors? But anyway, it, it took going back and reading through the entire movement section plus the box outs to figure out which bit wasn't quite right. Um, and so, yeah, I think if there was a, a wee bit of a tweaking of some of the layout of some of the things, it might make it a little bit easier to pick up, get going with. But I think you're right. It's a game that's here to stay. Uh, it's, a, it's a game system that I absolutely love. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes down the line. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about it evaporating um, or that there hasn't been enough support over the last couple of years. I think it's, it's been good because it's been regular without being relentless. Um, but I, thanks for the conversation today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, 
really enjoy doing these podcasts where I just get to pick a random stranger on the internet and sit down and talk to them for a couple of hours. Uh. <laughs> no, it's been it's been really good fun chatting. Um, it's it's one of the things you know the social element and the hobby's obviously been missing for so many people this year. Um, but it's really cool to to chat about. Um, about ignatum to, to chat about titanicus and, and just to as you say chat with a random stranger about something that that it doesn't matter where we are on the surface of the earth has, has brought us together yeah i and it's and the greatest thing about doing this podcast is that just the ability just to have a conversation and it's always a good interesting conversation because i'm you get very on the internet there's a very sort of thought that everything's the same everywhere but it's not um you can go to different parts of the uk different parts of america everyone's got a very different interaction with the hobby really interesting to see no it's been it's been really cool um i just wondered if i could give a, a couple of quick shout outs to a couple go of for folks. it um so uh yeah the the um my pal kieran who's the main protagonist in uh titanicus games here um but uh, also some of the other folks in the, the 30k and, and other elements of the community so scott and uh, gary and um also to uh, to Fraser, who's building a slowly building a Titanicus Legion over in Aberdeen, um, around painting the lion at the moment, um, and uh, also to um, all the folks who have been really supportive on the the Titanicus groups uh, and the thirty k groups, um, and uh, for you know creating a really positive atmosphere for a really awesome game. Absolutely. Well, like I say, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um... Yep, thanks for having and me. If I find another excuse, we'll sit down and talk again in the future. Um, that would be okay. awesome. And I think that brings us to the end of the show for this week. Thank you, James, for joining me and sitting down and talking about the Fire Wasps the last couple of hours. I really had a good time. I hope everyone had a great time listening to it. Normally, this would be the time when I sit down and review the all my thoughts and put together a nice bow on it and try and draw some sort of conclusion. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that this time. I've yet to get this Legio on the table. They're my favourite Legio, and I've been very expressive about my feelings. So I'm going to do a return to the Fire Wasps when I've played a few games with them. When I've done that, we will sit down and I will talk about the rules again and how the actual rules match my expectations of them. Um, so that will happen in the future, whenever that is. Who knows? But speaking of the future, we have one show left of 2020. The next show is going to be the Apocrypha episode. There are lots of little ideas I've had as I've recorded this season that I didn't want to go and explore because I didn't feel like it would either have the weight to fill a full show or it was going to take time out of that particular show well, I'm going to return to them all. I had initial plans of doing a sort of Christmas special initially, where I was going to reach out to several of my local gaming buddies, and we were just going to sit down and review the year. I don't want to do that. The year has turned kind of sideways on me again. So I'm just going to focus on some really weird, odd things about Titanicus I just want to get out there. So hopefully we'll get that all sorted here in a week or so. My um, hope is next week, but if needs must, it will be pushed back to the week before Christmas. Once that's out, we'll have a few week break while I take stock and start getting ready to record season three. I'm hoping that will start hitting the airwaves or the internet feeds in um, mid-January. 
Um, at worst, early February, depending how much of a break I decide I need from podcasting. I love podcasting, but a break from every hobby is good at times. So anyway, all that said, thank you so much for sitting through all this, and I will speak to you next time. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and in no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune. Thank you.